Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self-discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there. Welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. So excited that you joined us today and really excited for today's episode, which is a roundtable, my very first roundtable episode. And if you don't know what a roundtable is, it's basically more than just two people talking. It's a few people talking in a group interview type setting, more like a group discussion. So this is a new grad nurse practitioner roundtable. So you will hear myself and Liz Rohr from Real World NP as the facilitators of this fantastic conversation with three new grad nurse practitioners who have all started their first job. So you'll hear from Mariah, who works in a federally qualified health center in North Carolina. You will hear from Michelle, who also works in a federally qualified health center in California. And you will hear from Natalie, who works as a pediatric nurse practitioner in a specialty practice that's both inpatient and outpatient in California. And they have all started their jobs within the past three months or so as of the time of recording. And we are diving into some really powerful questions, you know, not just about how they found their job and, you know, their strategies and their orientation periods and kind of all those nitty gritty details that others are always excited to hear about. But we also dove into some more difficult questions like what they're struggling with and kind of their best advice and things that they wish that they had done differently. So I really hope that you love this episode as much as I did. I loved facilitating this conversation. And also, at the end of the episode, after you've listened to a bit, if you really loved it, and if it was really helpful for you, it would be so helpful to me if you could let me know somehow, because I would love to make this a regular feature here on the podcast, like maybe once every three months, check in with this group. Um, so you can do that by leaving a review and uh, on Apple Podcasts and saying particularly that you like this episode, you can shout me out on Instagram or DM me on Instagram at the resume RX. However, you'd like to connect with me and let me know that you love this episode would be so super helpful because I would love to do more episodes like this. It's been one of my favorite uh, interview episodes so far. So without further ado, I know I've hyped it up enough. Let's get into the episode for the new nurse practitioner roundtable. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. Very excited to be doing my very first roundtable episode. And what that means is that it's not just me. It's not just me with one person, but I am actually here with four other people today and three of whom are new grad nurse practitioners. So really excited to share their experiences. We've sourced some questions from my community 
and I'm excited for you to meet everyone. So we're going to start with some introductions. So everyone is going to introduce themselves, the specialty that they work in, their practice setting, and how long they've been working. And then we'll get into some juicy questions, I guess. So Mariah, would you like to go first? So I'm Mariah. I am a family nurse practitioner at a federally qualified health center in Raleigh, kind of specialize in the adult side. And I have been working since August of 2020. So I think it's right at like four months so far. Awesome. Okay. Natalie, go ahead. Yeah, I'm Natalie. Um, I am a pediatric nurse practitioner. I work at a children's hospital. I have an interesting role. Half of my role is outpatient and half of my role is inpatient. And I have been working for two and a half months now. <laughs> Brand new. Awesome. And we have Michelle. Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle. I am also a family nurse practitioner, and I also work in a federally qualified health center in FQHC here in California. And I've also been working about two and a half months, and I specialize more in the adult side as well. Great. And so I am helping to facilitate this conversation. Many of you should know me already. I'm Amanda Gornieri. I'm the host of the Nurse Becoming podcast. I am an adult and women's health nurse practitioner. Since 2011, I'm currently not working clinically, but I do have a co-facilitator who I'm excited to introduce, Liz Rohr. You may know her from Real World NP. Liz, introduce yourself, please. Um, so I'm Liz. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been in practice since 2015, so I just passed my five-year anniversary. I work in a federally qualified health center as well. I was previously a, a PCP, like I had my own panel of patients, and because I switched down to part-time, I see like sick visits um, and I kind of support the other providers um, as they need me to see patients. And I also have the platform Real World NP where I do um, edu online education for new nurse practitioners in primary care. Awesome. Thank you, Liz, for joining us. Okay. So I want to start by presenting kind of the same question to everybody. This was the most common question that was submitted. Everyone wants to know how you found your positions. How did you choose the position that you did and how long it took to find that position? So I'm just going to kind of pick randomly to start. Natalie, would you like to go first? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first of all, I don't think I said thank you for having us on. I think this is going to be a great podcast, a very valuable resource for so many new grad NPs, especially right now um, with everyone looking for jobs. So I found my position because it was somewhere I went to clinical. And I actually think I could take an even further step back and say that I specifically chose where I wanted to do my clinicals based on knowing that I wanted to work at the same children's hospital that I was an RN at. So even though I was provided with primary care sites by my program, which I think was very important, I used my network of somebody that I had worked with previously in the PICU. I had seen her around the hospital and I had talked to her and um, I asked her about her role and she was, you know, very nice and forthcoming about all the information. And so when it was time for me to look for specialty clinical sites, I reached out to her and I said, hey, are you open to having a student? And she said, yes, you know, come on in. And that was really great. So I enjoyed my time there. We had lots of great conversations about what her role looked like on the day-to-day, -day, what her family life looked like, kind of like the work-life balance. We even talked salary, PTO, you know, all of the nitty-gritty details. And then I really got to know all the people that I worked with there. I loved the role. She kind of had a, this dual role that I have now as well. And about 
So let's see, starting in like March of this past year. So right before we weren't allowed to go to the clinical, go to clinical sites because of the pandemic, I was sitting with her and another nurse practitioner in the program. And I said, by the way, I really love it here. If you guys are looking for a nurse practitioner, um, I graduated in May. And they kind of gave them, you know, they gave each other side eyes and they're like, oh, okay, you know, interesting. So then we kept the conversation going. I talked to the director as a student before I even left. And he kind of just did like a brief, like, let me get to know you. How, you know, why do you want to work here? What's, you know, tell me about yourself. And that was really great. And so that was March, April time. I had um, an interview that was set up in June, and then I got all of my credentialing and hospital privileges, and then I started working there in October. So that was my my timeline. I kind of had this job in the back of my head before um, I even graduated. So that's my story. <laughs> Worked out really well. I love that. And you and I had talked a little bit while this was going on behind the scenes, and I was so excited to hear that because it can't be underestimated how valuable your clinical can be in terms of a potential work site. You know, it's, it's months of a working interview essentially. And I, I really love what you said. And, you know, I want to point this out. You said you went back even a step further and made an intentional decision of where to even do your clinical because you already knew that you were interested in working in that setting. So I think that that is super valuable and can be the silver lining of attending a program where you select your own clinical rotations. You know, that's often a big gripe from some folks having to choose their own or find their own clinical placements. But if you are thinking ahead so far to what your job's going to be after the fact, it can be a really strategic move. So I love that. Um, Michelle mm-hmm. or Mariah, I'd lo- I know that you both had different experiences finding your positions. So please share. Yeah. So I did a lot of searching. I started probably in January, starting to kind of look for positions, which led me to actually meeting Amanda. Um, I knew that I needed a revamp on my resume. I had paid another person to do that. And it just did not echo me as a clinical provider. And so I reached out to Amanda and we had a lot of conversation before I even purchased the resume redo and kind of, you know, started talking at that point. And so our relationship evolved. And so as I was interviewing, really like sought that kind of relationship out so that I could gauge whether or not the interviews that I was going to was really um, what I wanted out of a career. I interviewed for mostly rural positions. Um, So I over the course of, until I took this position, I interviewed probably for over like over 30 or 40 positions, um, had several repeat interviews, um, had a couple of site visit offers, turned the majority of them down just because they weren't the right fit. A lot of that, again, was through the guidance of with Amanda just talking about like what I really wanted goal wise. And so I just by happenstance was looking one day and I believe I found them found it on Google. I'm not even sure where I found this job at because I can't seem to trace it back, but I applied in the middle of the night to this position that was in Lewisburg, North Carolina, which is a rural place. And they wanted two years experience, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try worst case scenario. They don't call me back. I never hear back from them. They contacted me back the next day and their interviews really started rolling out since the beginning of June. And so I had several interviews and was at the end of June offered a full-time position in the, at the federally qualified health center in Raleigh. My position originally was for COVID outreach, um, but that has rapidly evolved 
as I've gotten involved in um, my position. So my position is now partly COVID outreach, and then I do clinic time. I have my own panel of patients, as well as seeing some of our um, providers who maybe have left or transitioned out of our um, facility. So seeing some of those as well. And then really, I chose this position because I um, am in a new grant recipient. And so I did all how many ever clinical hours that I completed in my program at rural health clinic sites. The majority of my hours were located at a free rural health clinic in the Appalachian Mountains. And so I knew that I loved the underserved community, specifically rural, which unfortunately is not where I'm at right now, but where I eventually want to be. So I expanded my search to what I liked. I knew that type of population, that rural health really appealed to me. I've mentioned this and some other things that I've done with Amanda, but the rural health really is more autonomous. It has more responsibility, which I, I personally like. And so I knew that eventually I wanted to kind of move into that. And I knew the federally qualified health center experience will really position me to be able to take on a more rural health job in the future. And so really I just chose it because I know I'm able to reach my target population and eventually do my target geographic area. So that's really kind of how I chose. I, I had a lot of guidance. I was very fortunate that Amanda took me under her wing and let me talk about it because I really had a lot of in-depth conversations about what I wanted. And, and I came in knowing that. And, that re- and, and I've talked to, to Amanda about this before, but my resume really, the redo really helped me feel more confident that that was what I wanted to do. So it really echoed all of my accomplishments and all of the effort that I had put in. And so I think that helped guide me into the position that I eventually took. Yeah, I love that. I think there are two things that stand out about your story that I think are really important to highlight. The first being the fact that you applied to a job that said they needed two years of experience as a new graduate and you got a call back. So many people will pass over those because they assume that they won't even be considered. So definitely encourage people to apply no matter what it says in terms of experience requirements. And the other thing is that you were so super clear about what you wanted in a role. And despite other offers along the way, you kind of listened to yourself and really made sure that the position that you were choosing in the end was aligned for you overall. So I love that. Michelle. Yeah. So back in January, as I was getting ready to enter into my last semester of school, I started applying to residencies, actually. And I applied to four and I interviewed at one. Um, and I didn't get chosen. I was actually the alternate. <laughs> so I started looking at jobs and I knew that I wanted a place, an organization that supported new grads. And I was concerned because at the area that I'm at, one of the things that I thought to myself, I don't know how I'm going to find a job. It's very oversaturated with lots of new grads. And it so turns out that you're you at that, I think around um, the beginning of 2020, you started uh, the year with a workshop about oversaturation, and I actually took it. And from that, I actually learned to cold call places. And so all the clinics that I had rotated in, um, they weren't hiring because of COVID at the time. And so I ended up cold calling a bunch of places, and there was actually the SQHC that I'm currently working at that responded. And it turns out that I emailed the chief medical officer and I didn't know at the time um, with my cover letter and my resume. And she really liked kind of my mission of wanting to, you know, really combine both my public health experience and also work as a nurse practitioner. And I interviewed with her. I interviewed with our second uh, in line, the primary care uh, officer. And 
I think one thing that he said stood out about me despite being a new grad was my bedside manner. And so he was willing to take a risk because he was actually trying to hire someone that had more experience as well. Um, and I chose this position. I actually also got hired in a different position that's completely different from family practice and um, aesthetic medicine, actually. And I chose this because it kind of really aligned with what I wanted with my career goals of really utilizing both public health and my experience as a nurse together. And I love the organization that I'm at in a sense that uh, we have a lot of umbrella services for our underserved population. You don't find many organizations who have holistic approaches such as chiropractor and acupuncture services. And we actually do have that. We have lots of services for those who are dealing with substance abuse or just wanting to quit. And so for me, seeing all the umbrella services available within primary care and urgent care, I think for me was one of the biggest reasons why I chose where I work because there were just all these services that were available that while in rotations, I didn't see was available in other places. And so having that and being able to connect patients where they need to go is actually one of the biggest reasons why I chose where I work. That's great. And Michelle, I want to ask, did you have an orientation period? What did it look like when you first started? I did. It was a one week orientation. And then the week after I started on my own, but I did have a mentor. (laughs) Uh, I started off with two patients an hour and the ramp up, I think to three patients an hour started, I think at the fifth week. And during that time period, I would have the opportunity to meet with my mentor once a week. Interestingly enough, during that time, uh, there wasn't any admin time, but since then I've had admin time. Now I was really advocating for myself to get admin time. And so right now I'm at three patients an hour and I average about 18 to 20 patients a day. And this is both inpatient and telehealth medicine as well. And how does that feel to you like that, that workload? Does that feel comfortable? Do you feel like it's getting easier? Is it kind of pushing your comfort zone? I think in the beginning, it definitely was hard. My first patient was a patient who had ascites and gets paracentesis regularly at the ED. And so that was kind of, that's kind of the patient um, that I normally see on a daily basis. And I think in the beginning, it was easy to freak out because there were so many complications that were running through my mind, the red flags. And, you know, it was, I'm glad that I had a mentor that I could turn literally around and say, hey, what are your thoughts about this? But I I definitely think it was very difficult. I still think it's difficult. And sometimes I go home and I worry a lot. You know, did I miss something in a patient who, you know, had a lot of chronic conditions? Did I not uh, order a specific lab? Did I send them to the right referral? That's something that I am currently learning, but I'm slowly learning to not freak out. And I think, you know, last week and this week, I didn't freak out as much, but I'm glad that, uh, (laughs) I'm slowly kind of getting an idea of how to handle and how to really approach the patient plan. Amanda, do you mind if I jump in for a sec? I I was actually going to punt to you. I was going to (laughs) ask, I was going to ask you, Liz, because you have more experience in the clinic setting, like tell us a little bit about what it looks like on the other side. And of course, whatever else you want to share. Well, I just, I want to first just like acknowledge all three of you because like in your job search strategy, like that took a lot of boldness. It took, it took self-honoring clarity and boldness on all of your parts to like go out and get what you wanted and say no to the things that you didn't want. And then Michelle, like to advocate for yourself, like 
I just want to commend you for that because I think that Amanda and I talk about this a lot where we see, we see people who are really frustrated and who are not doing those things. And it takes a lot of guts and it's scary and cold calling is scary. So I just want to commend you um, all for that. In terms of like the clinic stuff, um, do you mind repeating that question? Sure. <laughs> I was curious, you know, I know that you work in the clinic setting and after your years of experience, what is your typical volume look like? How many patients are you seeing per day? Are you still relying on a mentor? Like what does that daily life look like for you in clinic? Totally. I'm mainly seeing urgent care type of stuff, but I see whatever, any, any, anything that needs to be seen. So like newborn babies or chronic conditions that like don't have, we don't have enough appointments. So they'll see me. So yeah, so I see max 20 per day, but I will take on extra if they need to. And it really just depends. I'm comfortable with that workflow. I think that it's a, it's, I mean, primary care is a lot, regardless of how many patients you see, you know, like the, the patients are complicated. There's, especially in the federally qualified health center setting, um, but I'm comfortable with that. I do not have any mentorship. I do have a physician that I work. I have, I have a number of colleagues that I work with that I really love. And I, we, we help each other out. I have one that is a uh, quote unquote walking textbook and I'm obsessed with him and he's very, very helpful. And I ask him all of my questions, but I don't have any formal mentorship anymore. Yeah. That's one of the things that eventually happens is, you know, as time goes on, you know, just want to show you the other, the other side, like the light at the end of the tunnel, it, yeah. you will need mentorship and support and kind of resources all around you less and less the more time goes on which is good. Natalie, yeah. I'd love to hear about your orientation and ramp up details. Yeah. So, my orientation looked different than Michelle's. Um I'm so impressed when I'm listening to what Michelle is doing right now. I had 5 weeks of orientation where I was basically shadowing it was really nice. And I really liked it. It was a good time because with COVID things are, you know, we're learning telemedicine and we're learning in person, especially in a, like, I'm in a pediatric subspecialty. So although I learned some of the broader ideas and diagnoses, this is so specific that there's some things that I did not, that I was not prepared for at all in school. So I really appreciated the shadowing experiences. And I even got to go to the different procedures that our physicians were doing so that I knew how to explain those procedures to um, the families because I would be ordering those procedures for them and just kind of go through the whole process and steps with them. I got to go to different clinics that we run like that are more even more specialized so that I know, you know, how to treat those like rare cases um, or when to kind of say, this is above my NP knowledge, like, let me send you to like an even more specialized clinic. So I really appreciated that. And then, but I, I noticed that I didn't learn as much. It was kind of just this like overwhelming experience of like seeing all their different patients and just like kind of jotting notes and just not really knowing what to do with that information, you know, like, okay, let me highlight this because I need to go look this up at home type of thing. And then I just got this like I don't know, I got this like binder of questions where I, it just felt endless. But for the last two weeks of those five weeks, I did something where I got to be with a nurse practitioner or an MD, and I actually saw all of their new patients. So even though we went in together, it was like, I got to prep the chart, I asked all the questions, I came up with the plan. And so that was the best learning experience for me because it was so hands-on and I had to do thinking in the moment and know how to ask the questions and type at the same time and learn where to click all the different things that you have to click. And 
Um, so that was really great. And then I was, when I was on my own on my first week, it was lovely. Like I am so lucky where I'm at. And part of the reason that I chose where I wanted to be is because it's such a teaching facility. They have tons of nurse practitioners who are super supportive. All the docs have been amazing, you know, telling me almost every day, like, you're doing great. We don't expect you to know anything. Any of us are here to ask questions, you know, if you need to ask questions. And, um, you know, I just really appreciated that. So my first week I was on my own, I had four new patients. So in the specialty I'm at, we actually get an hour for a new patient. So in the whole eight hours, I had four patients. And um, that was very nice. You know, it, was, it gave me time to talk to the patients. I also had, um, I after I see my new patients, which I think some people would not love this, but I appreciate this as a new grad, I go find a doctor afterwards and I present to them and then it's kind of a teaching moment. So I, you know, they either ask me questions that maybe I have missed or um, that I forgot to ask that would be important. And then they kind of go, okay, Natalie, like, well, what's your plan with this? So then I get to tell them what I think is going on, what I would like to do, and when I would like to see them back, what I'm looking out for. And then it's like a, um, a brief moment in time for it to be a teaching moment. So like, you know, no, that's a little too aggressive, or we missed this. And that's been amazing for me. And then we go into the room together, and they meet the doctor. And then we kind of like, you know, that's the plan together. Um, and then the past couple of weeks, I've just kind of been like ramping up my schedule. So instead of four new patients, I have five, but then I also see my own follow-ups without a doctor. Um, I see my own follow-ups on top of that schedule, which are normally those follow-ups are 15 minutes, but because I'm new, they've been giving me um, 20 to 30 minutes for those times. So I feel like I've been really lucky in the amount of time they've given me and this, the entire process. They've kind of checked in with me and the director has always said, you know, we want you here for the long run. We're not trying to overwhelm you. We're not going to throw you into the deep end. We want to slowly introduce this to you because we don't want you to burn out. So that's been amazing. And I feel super lucky. I know I had a previous job offer before all of this in a pediatric, just like in primary care. And I talked to the um, doctor that had offered me the position and it just did not sound as supportive at all. <laughs> you know, she, um, she had expected me because I did clinicals there that I was going to take my own patient load. She really didn't want to give me any training because I had already been there as a student and that just felt, you know, all these red flags were going up in my head and I was like, that's that's not what I want. I know myself and I like to feel supported, especially because I came from PICU and now I'm going into primary care. I'm used to that team setting and that collaboration. And I do well when I'm, when I feel well supported and I get that positive feedback. So that's been my um, orientation. And, and I do feel like it was enough time. If anything, I probably could have come off, you know, earlier than that. But I think for my psyche, I needed those weeks to just get used to the flow of how we do things, meet all the different people, practice the charting, and then kind of have that first week or first those first two weeks where it was like half and half where I saw somebody who was kind of holding my hand. So yeah, so that was my, my experience. I think it's pretty unique too, from what I've heard from a lot of nurse practitioners, I'm sure, like, you know, yeah. Michelle just said. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. And I think, I think Mariah is going to share a similar experience to Michelle. Maybe I think Mariah, you're probably in the middle of the two, but what I first want to share is that I do think Natalie, that your experience is, it sounds luxurious and, and unique. And I think that that's something that uh, the specialty world has to offer. The specialty world tends to have more time, more resources, more of an academic style approach. So that's definitely something that I've seen personally, whereas primary care or community health or more traditional clinic settings that are seeing very large volumes of patients don't usually have that as much luxury of time. And I think it's not that they don't want to be supportive, but they have to kind of show their support in different ways using the resources that they have. And I don't know if anyone else would agree or disagree with me, but that's been my observation. In some ways it's luxurious, but also I kind of want to normalize it too. Like, can we more normalize that more, I guess? Yeah. Because like five weeks of orientation, it's not that much. Like, I'm glad, I'm really glad that it feels good, you know, and it feels like you could have, you could have come off sooner. I think that like two, two, two things I kind of wanted to highlight was one, like, especially in the interviewing process, Natalie, I'm so glad that you had that experience of like picking up on that because I think that so many new grads are so desperate for a job that they'll take anything. And then unless somebody is specifically like, we're not going to rush you, here's what our plan is. Like, it's kind of hard to know, like, cause some people can just be like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. You know, but if somebody's like specifically saying that, like, hopefully that's you know, a good indicator that it's a really supportive environment. And then I think the other thing I just wanted to say was that like, I think a lot of people get afraid about that orientation process and feeling like they want to stay on it forever. I always have a student. And so like, I'm very, I'm very like aware of their kind of like fears and desires. Um, and so it's like, they, they just want to stay on orientation and have a preceptor forever. And and it's terrifying to come off, but it's also, like you said, not only the best learning, right, is like when you're actually physically doing it, hopefully with some supervision, right, where you can pop out and just ask a question. Yeah. Oh, totally. That first day, like when I saw my own patient schedule, I was very stressed. I was, you know, I, I couldn't believe that I was going to be on my own, but then the day was fine and I did it. And then I did it again the next week too. And then I did it again the next day. And yeah, I still get nervous before I go into clinic and I have the same fears that Michelle was saying that, did I miss something? Did, you know, did I forget to order something? Any of those things always are continuously going through my mind. But yeah, the orientation period I thought was, was the way that we did it was really great. And yes, I wish that that, that was just the standard, you know, there's RN new grad program, but when people ask me if there's any NP new grad program, I really don't know what to say because I don't think it's that common and it would yeah. be great if it was, you know? Yeah. It doesn't really sound like it's standardized at all. I do hear a lot of people getting like two weeks or something, um, which is what I had when I was a new grad, it was two weeks of shadowing. And then I was starting to see patients on my own. And I think that for me, at least one of the most helpful things was the ramp up period being adequate for me, like fit to me. And I don't think I've seen that there's like a standardized way of like at two months, you should be seeing these many patients X, Y, Z, you know, but I think it's like individualized per person. Yeah, definitely. And from the job search standpoint, I think it's really helpful if you're listening and you're still, you know, you're going to be looking soon, hearing all these different examples of what orientation can look like and take mental notes about what type of learner you are and what feels like what you will need. Because 
the more time you can have, the better for sure. The more attention you can have to the orientation and ramp up period is super helpful. Some may thrive ramping up quicker than others. Some are observational learners, some learn by doing, and just kind of taking notes of what type of learner you are, what your dream orientation would look like, and then tuck that in the back of your head so that when you're having these conversations with the potential employer, when you're negotiating or discussing your contract, make sure you're asking these questions or saying, here is what I would like my orientation to look like. Can you accommodate this? And kind of having that conversation, which can also be a really good way to see, is this going to be the right fit for me if from the beginning they're not willing to discuss my my orientation? So that can be a good way to kind of vet a potential employer is how they respond to that type of question. Hey there, friend. If you are a brand new nurse practitioner or an NP student nearing graduation, I have the perfect resource for you that will help you get all your ducks in a row as you get started with your job search. It's called the Nurse Practitioner Graduation Survival Guide, and you can get it totally free at my website at theresumerx.com slash npgrad. This guide will help break down the glossary of all the terms and acronyms that you will need to be applying for. Think like NPI and DEA, as well as giving you the typical timeline of everything that needs to happen before you can start working as an NP. I can't wait for you to snag this guide so you can stop worrying about everything you need to do before you can be legit. Go ahead to theresumerx.com slash NPgrad and get it for free. Can't wait to hear what you think. Mariah, I'd love for you to share about your orientation and ramp up period. Yeah. So I had one day of orientation. We were still doing telehealth at the time. And so I literally watched her just do telehealth visits. And so I'll be candid and say that obviously that was uninformative for me. Um, It, you know, I know how to take a history. And so truly like it wasn't very representative of the workflow and we didn't start seeing patients in patient again until October. And so I did not really know what that would look like. And I was one of like the first providers to roll out that as well, like was to roll out the inpatient side of it. So I got like one day and then they scheduled me for another full clinical day with her, but she had a meeting for like five hours during it. So I ended up only seeing like maybe two hours of patients with her on that day. I never really, she was actually the provider manager and I never really, um, had any meetings with her after that. Um, I built my own relationship with another nurse practitioner who is also recently graduated. She is just hitting her year in February. And so I really connected well with her. And so anytime I like I needed resources or I needed to understand how something worked, she was really great. I am um, telehealth certified. And so for the first two months when I was doing telehealth, I was very well versed in how to use DoxyMe, how to document a telehealth visit, um, how to do all of that. So I really, I truly didn't need that support as a new grad. Unfortunately, I was given a supervising MD that was unhelpful. We have a policy at my federal qualified health center with the expectations. And, um, like we were supposed to have weekly meetings for X amount of time, sent him X amount of charts and he didn't want any of that. And so when he parted ways with the company, I was given a new, um, supervising MD and that has been wonderful. I have flourished so much more. I feel more confident. We do have weekly meetings. She looks at all my charts. We talk about the patients. We talk about things that maybe were challenging for me. And just really a lot of what I do with my supervising MD is more like 
hey, you did the right thing. Um, I, I needed more of that support. Um, I, as I have t- spoke um, with Amanda before and, and even wrote a blog post for, I suffer greatly from imposter syndrome. And so while I am doing the right things and I am meeting all of the patient's needs, usually I am terrified that I'm not. And so I really did well with that new supervising MD and that mentorship that I had built with another, the other nurse practitioner, because it just really reaffirmed like, Hey, you're doing the right things. I did ramp up similarly to Michelle. I can see a max of 21 patients a day. I often and do not see that. I have a relatively low no-show rate as I'm seeing, starting to see my own patients. Again, they like to come and see me. And so I usually average like 15 to 16 a day. Um, A lot of my patients in terms of billing are like 99214s. So they come in with three chronic illnesses that we're pretty much addressing at each visit. And so my visits tend to be um, a little longer. So I usually, I'll, I'll be candid and say that I run about a, a about a 20 minute visit behind. Um, and that's just because I am comprehensive with the patients who need comprehensive meetings. And all of my visits are 20 minutes. So even though they say long and short, <laughs> they're not really, <laughs> there's no difference to that. Um, and so I try to maximize everything that I can while they're in office. I do a lot. Um, Michelle touched on this, but as a federally qualified health center, we obviously are multidisciplinary. Um, And so I do a lot of referrals, which is also kind of why my turnover time or like they call it the cycle time in clinics is higher is because I often touch base with registered dietitians. I touch base with our referral coordinator. I I sometimes touch base with our licensed clinical social workers. So I connect my patients to other resources and that does take additional time in their appointments. And so I feel like 16 is usually my soft spot. We have a minimum of 14 a day at my facility. I think for the most part, our providers average about 13 to 14 because they send out clinical scorecards and they they show us things like how many for this quarter, how many patients are we averaging? And so overall, I am I'm, I'm right where everybody else is in the clinic. And that patient score is also reflective of our no-show rate. And for federally qualified health centers, which I'm sure Liz and uh, Michelle can speak on, we have high no-show rates. That's just part of the nature of our clinic. Um, I saw a patient the other day who was like, well, the last couple of times I just couldn't get a ride. So we, we face a little more challenges in terms of just getting patients to the appointments and really technology is still a barrier to get telehealth because I offered that patient telehealth and he's like, oh, I don't have any access at home. So really trying to make sure that we optimize the care while we're there. So I do spend a little more time with my patients because like Michelle, I am worried. Um, and, and Natalie mentioned as well, like I am worried about it. So I spend that extra time because at the end of the day, if I leave at 5.30, I still leave feeling like, okay, well, I did do as much as I could this visit. We'll address this again when I see them in a month or three months, whenever. And so just kind of meeting those patients where they are. So I, I like my um, schedule. I have not gotten past that 16. It doesn't appear that many people get past that, um, truthfully, in our clinic. There are some incentives if we do, but I, I like seeing the amount that I see. I think that it's good for where I'm at, and it helps, again, maximize my contact with them and, and helps them want to return because I build better relationships with my patients because I spend a tiny bit more time with them <laughs> to do that. But again, I think really my orientation Um, what was lacking from it and what I wish I had more of. And I mentioned this, you know, in my 30 day conversation with our chief clinical officer was that I really had wished at first that I knew more about what our specialties did. 
like what did our licensed clinical social workers really do? What do our care managers do? Because we have care managers and then we have case managers and we have behavioral health specialists and we have, so we have this expansive um, services, but it's like, there's nowhere to really know what you're doing. We also, um, Michelle and, and Liz probably know this, but we go by clinic metrics. Um, nobody ever explained those to me. I wish that somebody had been there to be like, okay, our, one of our clinic metrics is HIV. This is what we expect from you in terms of meeting that. And part of the problem is that some of them are underdeveloped. So I'm on an HIV task force now to kind of help build <laughs> how many should we have? Like, what is our goal um, as a federally qualified health center? So really, I wish that that knowledge had been more readily available to me at, at during orientation. And I think that that's where it was truly lacking for me is not so much the orientation period. I, to be honest, I was kind of bored at two patients an hour because we have a high no-show rate. So like people wouldn't even show up and it's like, I wasn't seeing anybody. And I was like, this is not productive for learning. And so as I ramped up my schedule, I was seeing more and I felt better because I was learning. I had hands-on experience, but really I think that what my orientation pe period could have done better was teaching me, well, what do these clinic metrics mean? Why are they important? And why are we focusing on them? What does it mean for, for the patient? And what does it mean for me as a clinician? And what does it mean for the organization? Because basically it's kind of thrown around right now as, well, this is what makes us money. And it's like, that's not really, <laughs> that's not why we're doing it. There's reasons behind why we're doing it. And so I'm really a um, rationale type of person. And so that was just lacking in my orientation period, like just helping that. And I'm, now I'm getting it more, but that's because I'm more vocal and and more I advocate for myself because I do COVID outreach for a really long time. My clinic metrics were intertwined with the patients I was seeing in COVID, which you don't do anything for other than just order COVID labs. And so it looked like my scores were terrible that I wasn't doing anything for my patients according to clinic metrics. But then I was like, can you just take the COVID patients out and show me what I look like this month? And it turns out that I'm doing really, really well. And so some of that just that conversation of being like, okay, this isn't right. <laughs> this doesn't look right for me. So I've done a lot more as I've gotten over that initial hump of feeling just bad about, you know, being a new grad and, you know, this new setting. And so I've got myself involved in the clinic. Um, and that's really been more helpful than I think my orientation was, is just being like, okay, you know what? I don't understand this very well, but I want to serve on this task force because I want to know more. And I want to be the person that builds it so that we can convince other people in our clinic to do these things. And so that's really where I've turned to where it's like, well, this was lacking in my orientation. How can we do better as an organization? And so getting myself involved in that and taking that on. And I'm, I'm also getting my doctorate degree in nursing practice. So I think that that's another component that kind of pushes me that way. My, my DMP really has forced me to think in that kind of way, because I'm not just a clinician, but, you know, as of May, I'll have a doctorate degree in this. And so that really those DMP essentials and stuff like that really has expanded my role as a clinician beyond clinic time. So what does it look like outside of that? So I've developed things like telehealth algorithms for my organization. Right now I'm doing some HIV education for providers on why we should be testing everybody who comes in for HIV based on current guidelines from the World Health Organization and the CDC. And I've done some other things that have expanded us and that really is kind of just fueled from my lack of orientation period. So like you mentioned, really being, I think Lynn's mentioned this, but being an advocate for myself and being like, okay, well, this isn't great, but how can it be better? And so I think that that's, I'm a really motivated person. I don't want things 
to suck all the time. And you hear so many horror stories of people who take jobs that they weren't really passionate about because they were desperate. And then they leave in six months and they were miserable. And, um, and then they finally find the right job and they're like, so great, happy about it. And it's like, well, you could have either waited or maybe trialed some other things. And sometimes bad environments are just bad environments, but instead of just assuming that I'm in a bad environment saying, okay, well, how can we make it better instead? So really, I think that my orientation period, while it was lacking, I have built on it in ways that I think in the future will make it more productive for other people. Yeah. I love that. And I think you, you have all kind of touched on this a little bit. So you're now all off orientation and essentially ramped up or ramping up for the most part, but I want to make sure that we're not painting the picture that as soon as orientation's done, you have arrived, right? Like you're, you're self-actualized as a provider, you know how to pretty much do everything and you just need to get over the orientation period or get through it. And, and that's it. So I, I like to kind of dig into the struggles because I think that's a really important place for learning and definitely something that can help those who are a couple months behind you, essentially. So if anyone would like to volunteer, I want to hear something that you're really struggling with right now and not necessarily like a clinical topic that you're struggling to learn, but something that's affecting you personally, like what's difficult for you right now about this transition? I think I'd like to speak on that because as an RN, I was in it the last few years, I was in an environment that wasn't great. I had a great leader, which made it better, but still was not great. And I mistakenly thought that it would maybe feel better to be in primary care. And while there are great aspects that have really pushed me, the actual job itself is more challenging, but in a way that I like the same problems exist everywhere. And so for me, it has really been more about not necessarily taking things personally, like there are going to be times where patients don't like you or where coworkers don't want to collaborate together, um, where other, like specifically I've had other issues with medical providers, just not being receptive to that or approachable. And that, that can be difficult for me because I am very team oriented as a bedside nurse. We have to be when there's a code, we're all coming in together, um, to work together, to get the patient where they need to be. And so, while I have some of that in the interdisciplinary aspect, um, my colleagues, there's not as much cooperation and collaboration. And mostly because we all have our own clinic schedules and we have that. So that, that has been a difficult transition. And just realizing that organizations come with problems, but they are not necessarily your problem. And that, that it is okay to say, this is beyond me, but that there needs to be an issue. So addressing it, if you can address it, but sometimes just letting it go and realizing that maybe some things aren't so deep that you're going to ever be able to involve yourself in it. The federally qualified health centers um, in general, they have a relatively high turnover. And I think it's just due to the complexity of all of the, the aspects of it. We are funded and, you know, sponsored by the government, which can make clinician type, you know, that type of relationship. And and that makes it difficult to work for an organization that is so oriented around um, what somebody else is telling you to do versus what the clinic's goals are, like the individual clinic. And so just realizing that some things are going to be bad still, but instead of the approach that I took previously, which was to just go home and, and clock out. And when I was clocked out, I was clocked out. I didn't have to involve myself in it anymore, but taking that approach to, all right, I don't like this, like I mentioned in, in earlier and 
this is how I'm going to fix it. So I think that's where really where I'm struggling is realizing that this isn't a cure for the flaws in healthcare, but that all organizations, especially in the wake of COVID, are suffering from similar problems. And that sometimes the support you need is going to be outside of the organization and that's okay, but you can also be the support within your organization. So doing things like we're about to roll out Epic, doing things like serving as a super user, because you know that this is going to be a hard transition and, and moving that stuff. So just, I've, I think that's where I'm kind of struggling is realizing that all organizations suffer from the same root problems because it's, it's rooted in, in a flawed healthcare system, unfortunately. And that's, I think that's my biggest struggle right now for me. Yeah, well, Mariah, you have me like fired up over here. So inspired by all of your energy that you're putting into this new job to help your patients and to make your clinic a better place. I just loved hearing about your experience. So I'm glad that I got to meet you via this podcast. And just to speak on to other things that I'm struggling with as a new grad is the schedule, which I, going from a nurse working 312, I, was exhausted after my 12-hour shifts, which aren't actually 12. We all know how exhausting, how emotionally exhausting it was. So I was looking forward to this regular schedule, Monday through Friday. My clinic hours are nine to five a few days a week. And then the other days a week, I kind of, I go in from eight to four. Those are a little bit more flexible. And then I get weekends off and holidays off. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And I am struggling right now with just the time management and that transition of going from having all of these days off to get my life in order and to take care of myself and to get all of my chores done and do things for myself after work. So even though I work nine to five and I get home and I'm not as tired, which is lovely because I am a better human to Eric, my lovely husband who does not have to deal with night shifts. Natalie anymore or Natalie after a long shift in the PICU but now it's just finding time like when do I when do I do my laundry oh my gosh I have to meal prep this weekend and run errands and that's like I know that's kind of it seems silly but it is a transition period and I think I'm realizing with all things doesn't mean that one's better or worse. I just have to adjust and give myself grace most of the time if sometimes I can't do a workout every day or I'm, you know, running to the cafeteria to get lunch because I didn't have time over the weekend to do things. So I definitely am struggling with that. And, and interestingly enough, in the new year, I'm switching from full time, which is five days a week, and I'm actually going to what we call a point eight. So in a 10 day period, I'm going to work eight days, which obviously is a pay cut. It's a few like I don't know, like 20 grand of a pay cut, just to be completely honest with people. But Eric and I were talking about it and I wasn't getting things done. I also run an Instagram platform. Some people know me as Natalie PNP and I love that creative side. And I felt like I wasn't getting to put myself into that. I had no time to give myself to others, to Eric. We just got married this past year. And um, yeah, I decided that full-time wasn't for me at the moment. And my work luckily said that that's totally fine. We can cut your um, hours to 0.8. So um, I kind of had to figure that out myself the first couple of months and make that change for myself. 
And another thing that I'm struggling with that we've all talked about is imposter syndrome. And I've told this to so many people. I've told this to the nurse practitioners that I work with, the MDs. I talk about this all the time. I feel like I'm just putting on my white coat when I go into clinic and I'm like playing this nurse practitioner. Like, okay, like here I am, actress Natalie is coming into work and um, hi, I'm going to be your nurse practitioner today and pretend like I know um, what's going on. And it's, it's, it's gotten better as, Mariah was mentioning, as you experience different patients, and then you realize that, oh, wow, I actually did do the right thing. And this other doctor looked over my note, and they said it looked great, or they gave me some great feedback. And now I know how to do it better next time. And even though I worry that I'm missing something that has kind of gotten better, but the imposter syndrome is still there. And even the doctors that I work with are like, yep, when I started out, I just felt like I was lost and I was playing, you know, with this white coat and stethoscope and kind of pretending what I was doing. But um, the important thing that I've learned is getting after the information. So not just settling to say, oh, I'm kind of scared or I don't know what to do, but looking into how I can learn more and continuing to learn and taking that feedback and kind of continually looking back of where I've come from, how much I have grown in the past week, and then really just organizing myself so that I have auto text of the things that I've learned. I don't know if anybody else uses auto text on their um, electronic charting, but basically it's like a pre-made almost script that you can use. So I type out the questions that I want to ask for a specific type of patient that comes in so I don't miss it, or I have a set plan. Um, so that I know how to treat like a, a specific type of disease. And so I've been able to collect those over the past weeks. I've looked at other doctors and nurse practitioners charts of how they treat their patients so that I know what I'm doing. Um, and I feel a little bit more confident, but the imposter syndrome I think is always gonna be there. And I know um, Liz and Amanda, you guys talk about this all the time, it's totally normal even though we all three of us new grads, we are, like you said, past our orientation period. I have no idea when I'm gonna walk into work and feel comfortable. As an RN in the PICU, that took about a year. Who knows how long it'll take as a nurse practitioner, but I think remembering that that's normal and every single person had to start out not knowing and not having experience. We were all new at some point, but look at us, we're doing it. You know, we just, we show up every day and we do our best and we do what we can to take care of our patients, whether that's taking more time during clinic visits like Mariah does. I prep my charts beforehand so that I have really good questions to ask and just trying to make a difference. And you know, even if I just make one of my kids smile for the day, if I see a really cute kid, you know, I feel like, okay, <laughs> that was a good, that was a good day and and I'll learn more the next day kind of take it from there. So those are a few of my, a few of my struggles. Yeah, I definitely appreciate just hearing everyone's struggles. And Amanda, thank you so much for this roundtable. I know we're kind of in the middle of this, but I think just hearing everyone and just kind of what they're going through, or even just some pearls, you know, I think for myself, I'm actually learning how to even advocate more for myself from this. So I thank you for that, you guys. I think similar to what Natalie and Mariah were talking about, just I think one of the biggest struggles that I am experiencing right now is um, just the work-life balance. 
Uh, Natalie, just like you, I actually got married really recently as well. And so starting a new job and uh, really being able to spend that time with my husband is definitely something that I am struggling with. I think another thing that I'm struggling with is just my FQHC just does push uh, productivity very, very hard on the providers. And even though I'm seeing 18 to 20 patients a day, that's not enough. They actually are trying to max out uh, providers at 24 to 27 a day. And of course, I'm seeing the least because I'm a new grad, but it's hard when you get that pressure from the CMO. And I think um, at times, even though I'm not at that place yet, I do come home getting stressed about what do they think about me because I'm seeing the least out of everyone. And for us, the policy is if you're not hitting those numbers, um, you get double or triple booked so that you can meet those numbers. And that's hard as a new grad. And I think a lot of times, especially with the acuity level, Mariah, you mentioned that most of your patients are 99214s or 99204s. That, that's kind of the level of acuity that we do have um, here at the FQHCs. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm learning is how to, again, advocate for myself. You know, I think it's important to actually notate and let them know that, hey, you know, I am a new grad and um, the amount of numbers that you're expecting me is very hard. And, you know, depending on what the outcome of that is, that's definitely something that I uh, will have to consider. And, you know, even potentially even maybe cutting back hours just to, you know, make sure that in terms of that work-life balance where that I'm actually okay, because, you know, I love seeing the patients that I'm seeing, but the pressure I think from um, administration also, it's hard. And I think, learning to advocate for myself is a really big thing for me right now. And um, just being okay with the fact that I'm not going to see those numbers and it's okay. And I think that's something that I'm just struggling with right now. Yeah, I think that's so hard. And a lot of us were on Zoom right now with our cameras on so we can see each other. And, you know, when you said the numbers that your management is expecting from you, like I had a visible reaction. Liz had her head in her hands. Um, and, you know, I think that it's just, it's so important to know your limits and know what is going to lead to your continued success and then translate that into advocating for yourself. And I know this is probably easier said than done because, you know, I'm not in your workplace and, you know, having to have the conversations, but ultimately the longer that you can have to get used to the complexity of your patients and get used to this volume, it will, it will teach you how to be a better provider so that over time, you know, that productivity can come. I find that when, when you learn and lead from a place of really learning how to manage your patients well, that productivity, like the speed and the efficiency just comes on the back end, you know, but it can be so much pressure when that's the focus and it can potentially distract you from your success and your comfort and your clinical growth. And I, Liz, I'm wondering if you have, if you have thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, but um, I just definitely commend you for not only meeting those productivity goals that you're doing right now, but also advocating for yourself and having the courage to do that, to ask for administrative time. I think this is, and I just want to thank all of you too, because this is so valuable. I work with some mentees one-on-one, um, like across the country and like 
It's just interesting because I don't think everybody sees the inside and it's nice to really hear the inside uh, other side. Cause I can share my own perspective, but until I hear about other people's experiences, it's hard to know where we're at. But yeah, I guess with Michelle, like I was thinking like, I think this, this comes up a lot with the people that I've worked with. This is not like science. This is all anecdotal stuff. Right. But I definitely have found that there is, there is a, it's really hard in the federally qualified health center setting where you're, and we don't have a, like Maria said, we don't have a great healthcare system that has a lot of flaws. And so I don't know, I guess, I guess what I have observed in working multiple places and also interviewing multiple places and hearing from other people is that like, there are different kinds of workplaces. There are places where you're treated like a number. You as a provider are kind of treated like a number. They throw patients on your schedule. They're disrespectful. They tell you one thing and they don't do another. They don't do it for you, you know? And when you reach out and you advocate and you're not really met with the support, I think that that, what you're sharing is just so valuable because you're in a situation that's tricky, but it sounds like it's going well for you. But I feel like there are a lot of nurse practitioners out there, especially new grads who are taking the first job that they can get. And they don't realize it doesn't have to be that way. And that there's a difference between working in a health center, like my current health center, no health center is perfect. And I think I talked about this in a video recently, but it's like, we have a lot of challenges and we have a lot of turnover. And what I really love about it is that the organization itself, I feel like they're on our side, you know, not that there's necessarily sides, but it feels like in, in, in other places that like, they're not hearing you. They're not there to support you. They're not like, they don't have your back, you know? And so I think that's a really important distinction to figure out, like for all new grads to figure out for themselves, what kind of organization is this? Is this a pro provider organization? Or is this like, I'm going to hire whoever comes in, I'm going to burn them out. And then we're just going to keep hiring them versus like taking a really intentional approach of like, you know what? COVID's really hard. We lost a lot of money. We also want to retain, retain the really excellent staff that we have, you know, and like working for healthy workplaces that value you and your contribution and want to support you so that you stay. Because ultimately that's how businesses work is that it costs a lot of money to have that turnover, you know? So anyway, I just, I have a lot of feelings about that. And I just, I'm so grateful for you all for sharing that. And I can't wait to share this with the new grads in my community because it's just so helpful to see what's normal and what's not. Yeah. And I think that sometimes you can pick up on these kind of unfavorable conditions before you start. And sometimes you can't, you know, and, and that's not, that's not your fault for necessarily not anticipating this, but that's a whole other conversation of, and this is what we're talking about. What can you do when you're, you're doing well, you're in a mostly supportive environment, but there are a couple things that are really getting to you about, about your role and like just focusing on, okay, what do I have control over? How can I advocate for myself? How can I make things different in this current job? Because so many people might just say, all right, I'm not 100% happy or fulfilled. It must be the job and I'm going to leave, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is another conversation that Liz and I are actually going to have on an upcoming uh, episode about, you know, basically what do you do when you don't like your job or, you know, you hate your job or something like that. So I think that there are some good tips that all of you have shared about kind of how to stand up for what you individually need so that you can make the job that you have into the job that's going to be um, kind of the best, the best fit for you. And, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay. No one, I know two people who are still in the same job that they started in right after graduation, like 10 years later. So um, I want to be respectful of everyone's time. We've been recording for a while now. I'm so, so grateful for this conversation. I'm 
thinking that we might need to do this again in another three to six months, same group, check in on you and kind of see how your answers have changed. But to wrap up, I'm hoping maybe you each have like a pearl or a tip or a piece of advice to the, you know, three to six month ago version of you, which is essentially a lot of our listeners today. So whoever wants to go first can go ahead. I can jump in. I think though that I actually made a video about imposter syndrome, but um, I think the first, the, the like main pearl that I have, cause I still get imposter syndrome, right? Like I get impo- like when I do new things, it's like when I started my platform, like that was a complete imposter, like crippling complete imposter syndrome that I completely forgot how, how crippling that was when I was a new grad. But I think like the main pearl that I have is when you're feeling imposter syndrome, you're shining the attention on yourself. But really when you shine it away on your patients, that tends to make it not necessarily go away, but eases up a little bit. I'll think if I have any other pearls, but I think that's like the main one as it relates to imposter syndrome. But I guess like the only other thing is just really normalizing everything that you guys are saying. And it's like, I mean, that's why I started my platform is because it's just such a struggle and all the things that you were talking about are just so normal and they really do get better. And I feel like I don't have a formal mentor right now, aside from the physician that I'm obsessed with, but I still feel like I need a mentor and I still wish I had a mentor. I had more mentorship than what I got, you know? So it just, and it never stops and you never arrive. I I have not arrived. I will never arrive. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Natalie, I'd love to hear your tip. Yeah. So I, well, thanks Liz. I think it's always really good for a new grad anywhere just to hear you'll never like that you still haven't arrived. You know, we as new grads look up to nurse practitioners who have been doing this for a while. And we kind of, sometimes we just want to hear, you know, it gets better. It's not going to be like this forever. Even if I could talk to the Natalie from two months ago in my first couple of weeks, I was in a totally different headspace. You know, I was just trying to understand like my email and then there's messages and now there's teams and we're meeting on Zoom and all these different things on top of taking care of these patients and some of them speak Spanish. So then I need to get a translator and who is who and who does what and it's so much at the beginning and just go through those first weeks. It's a wild ride, but you'll get through them. You're just kind of getting settled. It's not going to be like drinking out of a fire hose forever. You will get to the point where you start then feeling comfortable about certain diagnoses. So then you kind of have that under your belt and you'll get to know people, find a mentor or somebody that you work with where you can kind of commiserate with them, or you can also just ask them for advice. I have an amazing mentor where we'll just like go on walks together and I can kind of just talk to her about anything in my life. She's a nurse practitioner in in the PICU where I used to work. And that has helped me a lot. Talking to my previous classmates, we, we did some Zooms and we have a group message and we kind of all just like, you guys, what are we doing? Like, how's everyone, you know, how's everyone doing? And are you alive? And, you know, we'll get through this together. I think that's really important, finding that support and that community and realizing that if you can take care of yourself, then you can better take care of the patients that you're seeing. And like everyone keeps saying, it it will get better even in these short few months. I've seen myself grow. I know that the journey is not even close to being over, but it's just that it's a journey. And I don't expect myself to be an expert, but just remembering every day that I'm growing and learning and hopefully people can remember that as well. 
and students who are listening to this and wondering when to start looking for a job, just start networking now, you know, just start talking to people, start if you're at a hospital, because we can't go to conferences and meet all these people. If you're at a hospital and you can meet people and you have a, you want to talk to a nurse practitioner about how they got their job or just get yourself out there and talk to people and learn about the different nurse practitioner jobs that are offered in your area. Go make Zoom appointments with other nurse practitioners. Um, there's, it's not too soon to do it. And I think it's just the perfect time right now, especially with Zoom. You don't have to like tell somebody, oh, let's go get coffee. If that's awkward for you, you can just say, hey, I would love to know more about your role. Can we meet over Zoom or something? I think as a student, that could be key right now and not waiting until you're out of school. Because then once you're out of school, you kind of lose all of your connections from clinical. You just feel like you're floating out and you're like, okay, now what do I do? Um, so it's nice to do it while you're in school. And also if you're working in a hospital, you, you feel a little bit more connected. But yeah, and I think my other advice, sorry, I'm just like, keep going. <laughs> my other advice is obviously people are watching or listening to this. So they know Amanda and Liz very well, but continue to follow both of them on Instagram. I absolutely loved Amanda's course that she did for the resume, like the weekend resume course. I have people that I work with now that are like, oh my God, your resume was so nice. <laughs> like people still say that to me. They were just so impressed by it. And um, I mean, it's not all about the resume, but that whole course, I think Mariah mentioned this earlier, the different classes, they just like something will click that one of you says. And I've watched some of Liz's YouTube videos and or some of your Instagram videos. And it's it's like you're speaking to me, you know, so I think it's important to keep watching your videos and signing up for your courses because you guys are really just doing a really great job to support the nurse practitioner community and new grads especially. So um, I want to thank you for that. And I want to direct everyone to all of their amazing courses. It's an investment in yourself that you will be so happy that you put into that because that's, it's priceless. So Thank you. So that sweet. is yeah. very kind of you to say. I'm going to virtually high five Liz because it means that <laughs> yeah, we're doing it go. means that we're doing our our job because awesome. we, obviously, <laughs> we obviously both are so super passionate, Obs obsessed, obsessed. <laughs> but, you yes, know, passionate. we we talk pretty much every day, all day on on Voxer about all of you and all of you being, you know, our nurse practitioner students and new grad colleagues were really dedicated and invested in your success. So thank you for Thank you for pointing that out. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Michelle, do you have some tips or advice to share? Yeah. Um, sorry, I switched over to a new uh, system um, because my AirPods died. But I will say this. Uh, can you all hear me okay? Okay. I think one of the best pearls that I can really recommend is definitely kind of like what everyone was saying, network uh, with the people around you, even if it's outside, you never know what you could learn. I think one of the things that I really learned in my program is that we're going to be lifelong learners. And I think that's something that I'm going to take with me. And there are times where the things that I learned in school isn't just enough. 
Um, so I think definitely uh, accepting that as something with humility, but also knowing that I think that's why, um, you know, I don't think kind of like what everyone's saying, I don't think I'll fully arrive at this place of comfortability. I think uh, my mentor in school actually says that when you're too comfortable, you're going to miss something. And I think that's something that I, I took with me and I ran with it and I still am even as a new grad. I do have to thank Amanda and Liz because I am in both of their courses and I think it's helped me so much. Um, like I said, I did get my job by cold calling and it wasn't simply off of Indeed, Zip Recruiter or where you would normally get your job. And it was kind of um, interesting that I ended up speaking with the CMO as kind of like my first contact with the organization. Um, and Liz, I'm, I'm so thankful for your labs interpretation course because I think my mentor was so surprised that I knew what to do because I had taken some of your courses. I'm not done with it. And it's my goal to always do an hour a weekend of the course because <laughs> it's I'm so tired at in the evenings when I work. So I, I try to do at least a weekend. I try to do a refresher of something. Um, but just learning what to do, you know, if there's someone with, you know, like hyperkalemia, I actually knew what to do this week on a person who did that and who had that, excuse me, or things like that. I think it's really helpful. And I think for the students out there, um, do know that your courses um, have relevance. You know, I used to complain about a course when I was in school and I was like, we'll never see this in outpatient. And sure enough, we actually do see some of these things. And I think that's really humbling. Um, and I think it, it shows me that the professors that I had actually knew what they were talking about when they designed the course, because I think in the midst of it all, you know, we're never going to see like, you know, premature P waves, or we're never going to see, you know, certain things like phyocytochrotoma or like hygromas. And literally we see them in clinic, even if it's not an FQHC. Um, so I do kind of want to give students that, that tip. It is don't think that what you're not studying won't ever show up in outpatient. They probably will. And so, um, but those are kind of some of my pearls is like, yeah, know that you're a life learner, know that the courses available on Instagram are very useful for outpatient or even inpatient as in independent practice. And just know that the things you learn, you'll probably one day see them. Love it. Those are such great tips. And I completely agree with you about the lifelong learning and how you if you get too comfortable, then you need to check in with yourself because I agree with you. People who are, I don't want to say too confident because I think confident, I don't like to give confidence a negative connotation, but if you're ever too comfortable or kind of cocky about your role or your decision-making, that's when people make mistakes and it, and it happens. And being that self-aware can be so helpful and really protect you and protect your patients ultimately. So thanks for bringing that up. Mariah, what would you like to share with our new grads or future new grads? Yeah. So I'm going to disagree with all of you about the arriving thing. Um, I think that we are constantly arriving um, and that the reason that you don't feel like you're arriving is because at, when you do arrive, you're, you're looking at a new thing. So I disagree. Mm -hmm. We're all that you have arrived because you have, you've eventually you arrive at the, being a new grad practitioner, eventually you're not that anymore. Right. So you do close chapters of your life. And so I disagree that we, you guys haven't arrived. Um, I think that you've just entered as you've arrived, you're also leaving. So you come into this new phase in your life, because I will say that as somebody 
even a year ago from now, when I first started looking at jobs, I had no confidence in what I brought to the table. And even from then to now, I know that while I don't know everything, I know a lot. And I know, I knew what I wanted when I was searching for a job and I knew, and that stuff just takes development. And I think that especially on the the tone of um, imposter syndrome, which I am personally doing a lot of clinical research on that eventually stuff will come out about, um, about the key points that really help combat imposter syndrome. But one of the things that really is key other than mentorship, which I'm passionate about and have spoke about with Amanda before and even on her blog, but is knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. And so being okay having arrived at some places, but not arrived at others. And so knowing that you are ever growing, but that there are many, many people who look to you as clearly as we echoed through the multitude of testimonials for Amanda's and um, Liz's products. I could, again, rave about both the lab course and the personal resume services as I, um, those have really truly elevated me as a nurse practitioner candidate. And as a nurse practitioner, there are many, many more people in our community beyond Amanda and Liz, who um, both of them have highlighted as well. So, you know, making sure that what you don't know and what you're not comfortable with. Some of us are comfortable with resumes. Some of us can write a good resume and they don't need those services. They don't need all of that, but some of us aren't so great at that. So the knowing what services are out there that exist, because to be candid, the Monica, the NP has a great compensation course. And some of us need that. Some of us need that encouragement to be like, Nope, I want more money or I want more benefits. I want knowing those things. And so knowing what resources in your community extend beyond just your even small network of people, but beyond that is really helpful because some of us are going to be good at some things. Some of our programs are going to be have are going to have comprehensive lab interpretation stuff. So we're not going to need those services as much. But there are other services that exist that will amplify what you know and what you don't know. And so I think truly, even just in terms of being a new graduate and dealing with the feelings of inadequacy or the feelings that you're not who you say you are, I think just looking beyond your personal you, but looking 10 feet further and even seeing the expansive network of nurse practitioners and, and even PAs and um, MDs who also want to, to be part of our community and who are helpful within our communities. They're experts for reasons so that you, you beyond, I'm really into the concept of thought leadership right now, but these are thought leaders within our profession. And so really knowing that social media is not going anywhere. And it is a powerful, powerful tool to expand our networks and to expand our knowledge and being humble enough to accept those as part of our routine lives. Because the reality is, is that I would have never built this relationship to be able to even be on this round table if I hadn't acknowledged that my resume didn't look great and that it wouldn't, it wasn't representative of me. I would have never met Amanda. I probably would have never been introduced to Liz either because I found Liz through Amanda. So getting into the lab interpretation course was directly correlated to that. So really just knowing that it takes one step to reach the multitude of achievements that you can reach in the future. And you'll never be done achieving things. And that's the other thing. So while you will constantly arrive, you'll also constantly not be arriving. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I love that because, you know, 
it comes down to personal responsibility too. You know, you all have brought up great examples of how you were self-aware enough to know that you needed help in an area and you didn't just wait for it to come to you in a divine download. You know, you went out and sought the information. You went and got a resource to help yourself learn. And that's really what it means to be a lifelong learner. And it can be humbling to admit when you need help, but that's you know, that's how we learn and grow and continue to arrive. And I like that point too. So thank you all so much for being here. Um, I know that your time off is precious as we've talked about. So the fact that you've spent this time sharing with others is amazing. If you are listening and this is resonating with you, feel free to screenshot, share it out, or even better, send it to another NP student or an another NP new grad who you think it might resonate with too. This is such an important conversation that hopefully we will continue in the future, maybe when you all have another few months of experience under your belt. So thank you all so very much. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.